this message called Good News. It is so good, called the gospel. That apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet as we turn to you and find salvation, we are given the righteousness of Christ and the power of the spirit within us. That we get to walk with you day by day as our shepherd. And in your presence is fullness of joy forevermore. God, we are yours. It is so good to be your people. Thank you for loving us, Father, and sending your Son. And we pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. My gosh, here we are. Summer's on its way, and, and we are still gathering. And I know a lot of you will be traveling, and we're just thankful for this season. You know, we live in this great city called Salt Lake City. And it is beautiful here, and the seasons are amazing, and, and most of the intense weather is short-lived, you know, and it's been shorter this year, right? Are we thankful for a June that's gotten us kind of ways down the road without getting too hot? What a great thing. And God is at work, and so many things are being uh, uh, done in his name these days. We had a 150 people at junior high camp this past week and got them all home safely. You got your kids back. Yeah, so that was good, and we've sent off about 30 to Guatemala that arrived safely. They are down there now ministering. I got even a text this morning through some parents that we're all is going well, and uh, Shelly and I and Pastor Jerry, we're flying, Shelly and I are flying down this afternoon, and uh, we are going to visit five different cities and put on pastors and wives conferences in those five cities this next week um, and share with them a little of what it means to walk in the gospel. You know, that the resources that they have to do ministry are so much less than us. But we have so much to learn for them to how to be satisfied in Jesus and to see him as enough for our souls. And so we learn and minister to each other. It's a great, a great thing here this next week. Please pray for us. And then VBS is coming, 26th to the 29th of June. This is a great time as a family. You're fed. The whole family's fed every night for four days. Like, who gets this? Show up and you get fed and learn some things about how to walk with God. That's, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't come. But please do register. That helps us get the right amount of food, right, so that we can feed you and keep our promise. So, and also then, just for those who are part of our discipleship hour, hope you do. Hope you, you, you take part in that. These are great classes for all ages. Um, but we take a break in the summer from July 2nd to August uh, 6th, and we will regather on August 13th. So, there it is. Um, great things going on. We're thankful for God and how he's using us. And uh, let's, let's look at Ecclesiastes, shall we? We're two weeks left. Here we go. Down the last two weeks, chapters 10 and 11 today, and Solomon has been exploring the meaning of life. How do we find meaning in this world where we look around and see so much injustice and so much suffering and face this very certain reality that we're all going to die? Life can look and feel so empty. Like, where do we find Meaning, and so Solomon has just taken these head on, chapter after chapter, and challenge us to set our eyes above the sun to a God who is our shepherd and who is our Lord and creator. You know, there's really two ways of traveling through life that the Bible lays out. Uh, one is a way of wisdom, which is honoring God as our guide and as our shepherd and following him or the way of folly, of foolishness, which is in the spirit of Judges 21, 25, where it said, every man did what was right in his own eyes. 
we do it our way. And so are you going to be your own shepherd or are you going to trust the good shepherd? That's the, the question that we are, are facing here week in and week out. And we've been in quite a section of discussing wisdom, uh, how, to, how to walk this path, this journey through life um, uh, in a way that makes it meaningful enrich for us. And so we're going to look at that this morning quite some, quite some time. All of chapter 10 and part of 11, you'll see it's, it's even kind of when you, when you look at text, you see this kind of poetic framing of the text. It's not firm boundaries, outer lines, but it's like this. That means that, that he's given us some poetic wisdom that we'll see through 11.4, all of chapter 10 and through 11.4. And then we'll look at how God is our wise and good God along the pathway as the second part uh, this morning. So let's take up wisdom for the journey and look at chapter 10. And, I, and I'm going to make, uh, this, this is a sort of a nightmare for the preacher, I'm going to make seven points <laughs> really fast <laughs> in this section alone because there's lots here to say, okay? And I'll make them all short and then I'm going to ask a question at the end of each one, right? And not every question is going to fit you, but one or two of them will. And let the Holy Spirit tap you on the shoulder when it's the question you need to answer, Okay. And the first piece of wisdom, these are guiding principles from the Lord on how to walk with wisdom in the journey. The first one is choose wisdom. Look at verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Okay, so choose wisdom and, and, and stay away from folly because it stinks up the Ointment. And so this is my first principle is choose wisdom. I, I love Proverbs 7.4. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> That's brilliant, right? Get some wisdom. Choose wisdom. A little folly, a few bad choices wreak havoc on an otherwise good life. We know this. One sin left unchecked over time has the capacity to do such great harm, right? It does. And all of us, all, everyone in this room, we all have a tendency toward some sin that we are vulnerable to. And if we keep God out of that little circle, kind of put a bubble around that area, as we kind of tend to do with these areas of weakness, it has the chance to wreak havoc on our life. So, so what is that hidden area in your life that has that capacity to sink you? And this text is saying, take it on, because one little fly in the ointment stinks up the whole batch. Get it out into the light of God's grace and his love and forgiveness and in fellowship with his people so that we can defeat this thing. Don't let it sink you. Get honest. Confess it to God and tell a friend. Let somebody into that secret place. And so the first question is, what do I need to confess? God and to someone this week. Second one, verses two and three, <clears throat> says a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So here's the pr second principle of wisdom. Guard your heart because your heart's going to guide you. Your heart's going to take you. The heart is speaking of the central place of our thoughts and our affections and our will and our being. <clears throat> And Jesus said it's the crucial part of us. He says if it's filled with light, you're filled with light. But if it's dark inside of you, he says, great is the darkness, Matthew 6, 23. 
And verse 3 says this, that when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. In other words, if your heart is dark, it's going to be obvious by the way you live. You can't hide it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34. So we're to guard our hearts, this inside part of us. It's the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4, 23. But here's the problem, we all know this, that our heart is inclined toward evil. And left unattended and let in a drift, it goes toward darkness. And so we have to nourish and feed our hearts good things. And I'm reminded of Psalm 119.9. It says, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living it according to your word. Whatever we put into our hearts, right, it's going to reflect in our behavior, in our actions. A couple weeks ago, I had my car full with our staff. We were going out to lunch together, and it was kind of a wild moment in my life. And so I turned on Boston, more than a feeling, and cranked it up to about 105 decibels. Tono had a decibel meter. So this is 105 decibels in here. It was loud. It was rocking. And we were driving down the road, you know, and Kara's singing. You picture your staff. And uh, I thought, well, <laughs> if we always just did and acted that way, this church would be a wreck, Right? But it was a fun moment, and we know better than that, and we spend most of our time studying Scripture and figuring out how to minister well to all of you. But we just got to know this principle. When you put garbage in, garbage is going to come out. And so we want to feed our souls the Word of God and be in community with each other, encouraging one another around that Word. So what are you doing? Second question, what are you doing to feed your heart and your soul? Third, verse 4, it says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So here's a ruler, somebody in authority who's angry at you, and what's the instruction? Keep calm, right? Don't leave, don't move, don't react quickly, stay steady. So the principle is this, is stay calm in crazy times. And life can be crazy, right? It's one crisis after another that comes our way. And people can be angry with us and roadblocks stand in the way of where we want to go and troubles come. And this text tells us don't react too quickly. And be careful not to overreact. Just stay steady. Trust God. Stay calm. Most of what's going on around you, you have no control over and you're surely not responsible for but you can lean into God in those crazy times, and it's like that. And Jesus is our great example for this, right? I mean, life got crazy around him, right? Because people were reacting to him and his holiness and his, his claim to be God. And there was injustice and insanity just swirling around him. But I love this. It said he set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to obey the Father, he put his eyes on God and just placed one foot of obedience in front of the other day after day to die for our sins. That's a picture of steadiness and calmness in the face of crazy. And that's him. And, and I've seen this over and over again. I don't know how many times this question has been asked of me. 
of younger people in ministry who are facing a really hard time and maybe having accusations made against them that they know are not true. I had one really good friend that was in this crisis in his life and, and he was being accused of some horrible things that we both knew weren't true. It was threatening his ministry. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do just what this text tells us. We're going to keep calm. We're going to obey God. Right? Put your eyes on him. Be a man of character and just walk. Put one step of obedience in front of the other, and you'll walk out of this. And he did. And we do. This is the instruction here. We don't need to plan for the future. We don't know what it will hold, but here's what we can do. We can put that very next step of obedience in place. I don't know if I should have this job. I don't know if this is the job for me. Well, where else are you going to go tomorrow? Right? Go to work. Show up. <laughs> one step of obedience. And so here's the question, what is the next simple step of obedience that you need to take in your crazy world? Fourth, this is a little bigger here, verses 5 to 7. <clears throat> there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. And I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And then he picks this theme back up again in verse 16. So I'm going to jump to 16 now for a moment. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, or acts like a child, right? And your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, or acts nobly, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So here is a king who has put people in his administration that did not have the maturity or the capacity or the capability to do their jobs well. They acted like a bunch of children. Have you ever seen that in our government? People doing inappropriate things, partying in the morning, not paying attention. And it's just, it's just maddening. And it causes great harm to a people and to nation. So here's the principle. Help people get into the right places. <laughs> Wherever you have influence to get people into the places that fit their gifts and fits their maturity so they can serve humanity, do it. This is as important of a principle I know in leadership as I work at is to get people in the right place. It makes an organization, it makes a church, it makes a nation healthy. It's just basic discipleship. In fact, I think it's the spirit of Proverbs 22.6 when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and in the end, he will not depart from it. Teach those children to be people of character, but also teach them to find their place where they fit in life to serve God and others. But do notice that the first thing to pursue is character. You know, all kinds of people ask me along the way, like, what is God's will for my life? Do I do this, or do I do this, or do I do this? And here's the biblical answer. Be a man or woman of character. That's God's will. Whether you do it in Kentucky, or Maine, or Utah, or Germany, or that's not the, really the issue. I mean, those things are choices you need to make, but that's not the point. The point is, wherever you go, there you are. Be a person of godliness. 
And so we, we try to follow this principle here at Risen Life, and um, people get tired of me kind of talking in these terms, I think, but I borrow from Jim Collins, a really great author, who says, like, an organization is like a bus, and get people on the bus that you know um, want to serve your mission, the mission, right? We just sang the song, with all my heart I long to follow Jesus. I try to put as many people on the bus that long to follow Jesus with all their heart. I don't even worry about where they fit or how they serve the organization in the beginning. Just get them on the bus. And then in time, as you get to know their giftedness and who they are and what they're good at and what they love to do, then you kind of find them the right seat, right? And it works. And just fill up the bus with good people that want to follow Jesus with all their heart. And all of us are called to do similarly with our kids and in organizations that we serve. Help people be people of godliness and to find their place of service for humanity and God. So my question here in this one is, who's on your bus? Who are you doing this with? Who are your people? Fifth, <clears throat> this one's pretty short. Verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> he who digs a pit will fall into it. Bad news. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. More bad news. <laughs> this is like, uh, expect trouble. It's normal. <laughs> That's the principle, right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And how many of you found that Jesus was right? Raise your hand. Right? Expect crap to happen. And look it. God's not mad at you. He's not against you. He hasn't fallen from his post. He's still in control. It's called entropy. For those of us who are of science background, entropy means that everything in the universe is going from order to disorder. And you can't stop it. <laughs> right? Now, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 10, it says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Right? A dull Axe is hard to use, but wisdom helps one to succeed. In other words, sharpen your axe. <laughs> It'll go better. This is not complicated. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. <laughs> know what you're doing. Like the snake bites. Like don't let him bite you. Think about it. Be, like, so, so this is advice. Like things on earth go badly. But whenever you can prevent it, do so. Okay? Christians are uniquely called to relieve suffering and to make life better for those around us. This is what we're called to do. To be alert to that. To set up in the morning and ask God to make us a blessing and to set out to do it. And so here's the question. Where's a situation where you can make life better for somebody? And do it if you can. Sixth, <clears throat> verse 12. The words of a wise man win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Now, this is where I think this translation has failed us because every other word-for-word -word translation, and we picked a very much word-for-word -word translation that we teach out of, King James Version, New American Standard Bible, translates it this way. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Yes, it does bring him favor, but centrally, they are gracious. And so here's the principle, the wise principle of the path. Be gracious and kind with your words. Gracious words build up 
and harsh words tear down. And look at this. It says, but the lips of a fool consume him. In other words, if you are harsh, guess what's going to happen to you? I, I, I wish our politicians would learn this. If you're gracious, you might be treated graciously. If you're harsh and brutal, you might get treated harshly and brutally by our people. So be gracious. People need to be encouraged. It says in Luke 4.22 that the people marveled at Jesus' gracious words. Let's fill this place up with kind and gracious words so people can come in here broken and struggling and wrestling with difficult issues and be received with grace and kindness. It's grace and kindness that transforms and speaks to the human heart. So, the question is, who needs a kind and gracious word from you this week? Last principle, number seven. We're getting there. This is it. And I, and I needed to have just seven points because that's the perfect number. So, like, all the rest of the verses are under point seven. So I didn't get to eight. Probably not the best hermeneutical principle that you've heard. That means translation principle. Here we go. And this is the piece of wisdom. Live life fully. Live life fully. Starting at 1013. Look what we see here. By the way, Jesus said this. I've come to give you life and to give it to the full. This is why Jesus came. To give us life to the full. So here's how we do it. According to the wisdom of Solomon here and God's wisdom to us. It says the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. So here's the fool, fool now. And right out of the gate come all kinds of foolish words. Right from the beginning. And it says that leads to an end of his talk that is filled with evil madness. Okay, so what's being said here? is that the fool just starts to speak without thinking, without studying, without learning. He's totally unprepared, and he's just blathering on. That's the picture here. And the converse of that is now found as we pick it up in verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way of the city. So this person is lazy, and he can't find himself out of a paper bag. He doesn't know how to even get to the city that he wants to get to because he hasn't studied or worked at it. Verse 18, we've already done 16 and 17. Verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. And so the message here to live life to the full is, first of all, work hard. Apply yourself. Hard work is so much better than great talent. We know this. We've seen so many people in our lives who are extraordinarily talented, and they just lean on their talent, and they don't work, and they fizzle out in the end. I was so thankful to be taught this young in my engineering career. I had a boss who was fabulous, like a father to me. And he said, Kevin, he goes, when we go into this important meeting, we're going to outwork everybody that's going to be in that meeting. We're going to prepare, we're going to know the subject, we're going to study it well, and we're going to have data to beat the band that argues our point of view. And nobody else will have done all of that, and you will be leading the meeting before you're done. Hard work will carry the day. 
It is such good advice. Do it. Study. Work hard at it. Develop your skills. And God will greatly use you for that effort. I, I even find, even in my Bible study, God rewards hard work. Don't just open up your Bible, read like this. This is the method. Let's see. And read something and then just like on you go. Think about it. Work at it. Have a plan. Right? God rewards hard work. I know it's hard. Work is hard. I say to my kids all the time, there's one thing about work. It's work. My Bible's falling apart here. <clears throat> then it says, chapter 11, this. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster will happen on the earth. So this says be bold in your actions. Try lots of things, right? And if you try lots of things, what's going to happen to us? Some things will succeed and some things will fail. In fact, probably more will fail than succeed. Promise you. That's healthy living. That's the way you live. Try lots of stuff and expect to fail a whole bunch. And you will learn more through your failures than you will through your successes. That's the picture here. We often say in our staff, fail fast, right? Try something, doesn't work, move on quick, get on to the next thing. Right? Some people say fail forward. There's all kinds of ways it says. I was reading about Abraham Lincoln this morning. You know, Abraham Lincoln, he really failed most of what he did. You know this? If you read his story, like I was reading, I just said, I just put, typed in Abraham Lincoln failures and 15 things, I mean major things in his life that he failed at and went wrong for him one after another. I would have given up halfway through the list. And he stayed at it and became one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. That's the picture here. And especially when you're young, 18 to 30, try a lot of things. Fail often. But you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll find your place. And then he goes on and says in verse 3, look at this. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it lies. In other words, all kinds of things are going to get in your way. Sometimes it's going to rain, pour down rain. I came from an agricultural economy in Nebraska. And man, right about harvest time, he's just dumping buckets, and it drives the farmers crazy. Sometimes farm gets away. Sometimes a tree falls in your path, whatever that tree might be. But it says, he who observes the, verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you let those things distract you from working and trying to do what God has called you to do, you won't succeed. You've got to fight your way through. Don't let obstacles cause you to freeze. Don't feel fa fear failure. Take risks. Move out. Christians, you are secure. God is for you. And who can be against you? You're going to win. Now, let's give me some, yeah, nice job. Love that. Woo! We can all do that together. Woo! I tell my kids all the time, like, you've got a huge net underneath you of love and care and concern. Go for it. Like, if you fail, there's this huge net of love and support underneath you. If that's true for our kids, it's so true, true for us as Christians. I kind of picture us all as trapeze artists, you know? We're kind of doing crazy stuff for Jesus, trying stuff. You know what that looks like. Like if you ever watch them, like, you fly off and 
boom, there's a net down there. Go for it. So here's the question. So where do you need to take a risk for Jesus today? All right. So that's wisdom for the pathway. A lot of wisdom, all right? Now let's talk about journeying here with God, the last five verses. How do we do this with God in particular? Starts in verse 5 of Ecclesiastes 11. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And so, so Solomon has circled us back to this one over and over again. That to walk with God, first thing you got to know is that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he's got the situation. Nothing escapes his sight, and he knows what's coming. In fact, the, the Bible says that the, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. And that tower is a picture that God is up high and he sees the whole thing and he sees everything. And so when we rely on his wisdom, you're talking to the guy that knows everything. That's a really good place to get wisdom, right? But also he's safe. He will protect us. He will guard us. He is our sure guide in life and nothing comes into our life that doesn't pass through his hand, it is often said. But it says then in verse 7, and I love this, I love this, that light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. We're told in 1 John to, to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ sheds us, uh, cleanses us from all sins. And so we are to, to walk with Jesus. And this walk with Jesus, it says, will be sweet. I love that word. It doesn't show up too much in the scripture. It's going to be sweet. Fill us. Be satisfying for us. And then he gives a little advice to the old and to the young. And he says this, first to the old, in verse 8. He says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So older people, right? Kevin, those of you my age-ish and older, like enjoy the days. You've got life today. Be thankful. Be blessed. Enjoy it. Make the most of it. It's a gift of God. Every day is a gift, and we know that as we get older. But that it says there will be many days of darkness ahead. You know, the path from here to the end, and it's not all that far out, older people, includes a path to death, and that's hard. It is hard. We have good friends. We, have, we do, right? The problem with being a little older, you have more good friends that are going through this. It's hard. The Bible acknowledges it. It's hard. also says to the young, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Right, go for it, young people. You got your whole life in front of you. God acknowledges that it's a good thing. It's a good time of life. Enjoy it. Explore. Chase things that delight your heart. Find your place. Live. Right? But know that all these things, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There's an accountability for all that we do. 
And one of the things that age teaches us is that choices made as teenagers, as young adults, profoundly affect your life when you're in your 60s. I promise you. More than you'll ever know. The choices today matter for your future. So make them wisely. Right? God calls them into account. This is his blessing to tell us and warn us that for good and for bad. And you too are marching to the end and it will come faster than you ever think. You'll have as much gray hair as me before you know it. That's what happens. So, here's what God is telling us. <clears throat> Let's put him in the center. It says, verse 10, remove vexation, that means worry, from your heart and put away pain. That word actually is evil from your body. Don't worry and don't do evil. That means put God at the center. Trust him and do his will. Trust and obey, for those of you who have been around church for decades, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Put God at the center. Trust him with all your life. Acknowledge him as God. It is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1. Romans 1 lays out, for those of us who wander away from God, to give him his place in our life that ends up in utter disaster. What does it profit, Jesus say, you, O oh man, to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Band, you can come on up. And so God has provided a way, a way to him. Romans 1.16, just ahead of that section of warning, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You want to get right with God? He has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life and died on a cross for our sins. And on the third day, we already sang it this morning, he rose from the dead, declaring himself to be the son of God. He is God in human flesh. And the path to life is to give ourselves to him as our good shepherd. And then when we do, we are completely forgiven. There's no guilt any longer from now through all eternity. And we're given the very righteousness of Christ so that we stand before the Father fully accepted. And the Father looks down upon us with a great smile and joy and dances over us and sings over us as if he does his own very own son. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the path of the righteous man, those who give their life to Jesus and walk with him, the path of the righteous man grows brighter day by day. I love that verse. Every day that we walk, I found it to be true. As you walk with Jesus over the long haul, it gets brighter and brighter. And yes, there will be hard days. There will be. This is not us putting our head in the sand. But listen, God is most personal and he is most sweet in the hardest of days. That's when you're experiencing him. And so when we go through the hard days, this is not a, is it going to be a good day or a bad day? They're all good. Some of them are just hard and good. Because when we are going through a hard time, we lean into Jesus and we find joy even in the sorrow. They go together. That's the path of the righteous man walking with him. 
And when we lean into him, we find strength then to face with joy whatever is coming our way. There's a missionary that I've been reading about this week. His name was Alan Gardner. Not very well recognized or known, but he was a missionary to the south tip of Africa and then also to uh, South America. And uh, when he was in his 50s, trying to reach a people in the southern tip of Argentina, he got stranded on an island with seven others, with six others, there were seven total of them. And they got isolated from food and nourishment that they needed from their bodies, and they slowly died one after another of starvation. One after another. And Alan Gardner was the last one. He died last. And we were blessed to be able to find his journal, a year after his death, actually. And this is his last entry the week that he died. Having died of starvation, listen. He goes, ah, I am a happy, I am happy day and night, hour by hour, asleep or awake. I am happy beyond words, and no words are sufficient to tell. As I day by day and night by night lie here, what a world, unknown to the world around me, do I live and have my thoughts, my love for God is stirred. God is indeed about my bed. Let all my beloved ones at home rest assured that I was happy beyond expression the night I wrote these lines. It would not have changed the situation for any man living. That heaven and love and Christ, which are one and the same thing to me, filled my heart with joy. Isn't that unbelievable? The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. Let's put that up. Let's read. Let's stand together and let's read Psalm 23 together. It says just what we had. Stand and then join me. Say it out loud, we and thee. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.